You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And finally, spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Bram Stoker's Dracula, which came out in 1992 and was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. It stars Gary Oldman, Winona Ryder, Anthony Hopkins, Keanu Reeves, Sadie Frost, Richard E. Grant, Carrie Elways, Billy Campbell, and Tom Waits. The genre would be gothic romantic horror. Their names are legendary. Their destinies linked. An ageless myth meets an uncompromising master. Francis Ford Coppola brings an undying legend to life. Dracula. <laughs> Make no mistake, he must be stopped. Could this possibly be Coppola's last great film? Shockingly, I had not seen this entire movie until just a couple of years ago on streaming. And then just recently, I had the pleasure of watching it on the big screen for the 30th anniversary. And I can say that at the very least, it is highly engrossing and entertaining. I mean, where to begin? The immense sets, the costumes, the inventive visual effects, those crazy dissolves. Gary Oldman inhabiting every physical incarnation of the Cool with rock god abandon, including those sharp blue-tinted sunglasses that we see him wearing around London. Anthony Hopkins, devouring every inch as the dogged Van Helsing, who, while quite adept at tracking vampires, happens to have a ghastly bedside manner. Doctor. Yeah? How did Lucy die? Huh? Was she in great pain? Yeah, she was in great pain. Then we cut off her head and... Drove a stick to her heart and burned it, and then she found peace. Doctor! Sadie Frost, as Mina's doomed best friend Lucy, making me wonder why she never became a star. Help me, Jack. I don't know what's happening to me. I'm changing. I can feel it. I can hear everything. I hear the servants at the other end of the house whispering. Him mice in the attic stomping like elephants. Winona Ryder as Mina, really showing her chops with some emotional beats that would have seemed genuinely silly with a lesser actress. God, who are you? I know you. I have crossed oceans of time to find Richard E. Grant hamming it up in his full-on drug-fueled Mad Brit mode. And... Rocker Tom Waits, clad in what seemed to be, I don't know, looks like he's wearing Venetian blinds, playing Renfield, who's often summoning Dracul when he's not eating bugs. Just everyone in this stacked cast comes to play. 
Will one of you learned doctors or whatever you are kindly tell me what is going on with my Lucy? Jack, you are a scientist. Do you not think there are things in this universe which you cannot understand and which are true? Where the hell did he go? You see? I feel like a blundering novice. Gentlemen, we're not fighting some disease here. Those marks on your dear Miss Lucy's neck were made by something unspeakable out there. Dead, but not dead. It stalks us for some dread purpose I do not yet comprehend. To live, it feeds on Lucy's precious blood. It is a beast, a monster. Oh yeah, the story? Well, it's a somewhat faithful adaptation of what is considered one of the more influential pieces of literature when it comes to vampire lore, focusing on the story of Vlad the Impaler, as he was nicknamed after his battles during the Crusades, before he became Dracula. And that's, of course, the novel Dracula, written by Irish author Abraham Stoker, otherwise known as Bram, and published in 1897. As Dracula himself actually isn't directly involved with the story from much of its second half, there were clearly some liberties taken by writer James V. Hart. Much of the film is narrated from different points of view along the lines of the original text, but Vlad slash Dracula becomes a much more central character along with Mina. Not only that, but their romance takes center stage in this film version, whereas in the original novel, there is no such romance. So despite all of the subplots and all of the side characters, what this is in essence is a tragic love story with lots of blood. Please, I don't on the surface, so much of what we witness on screen can seem silly. And I do wish that the film had a few more moments of genuine horror and suspense. But it generally works as a fantastical two-hour mood piece from a master director playing with all of the best tools at his disposal. This brings us to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Because music is essential to film. We are treated to gorgeous music throughout thanks to composer Wojcik Kalar his lush melodramatic score, which also has its share of foreboding sounding moments, and even truly bombastic moments, as we hear at the end of the prologue. Vlad has just returned from a brutal crusades battle to find his wife, Elisabetta, who is also played by Winona Ryder. She is laying dead right in front of a cross. And needless to say, Vlad's reaction is, well, it's quite extreme. The whole sequence crescendos as we watch Vlad standing in front of this cross, surrounded by a pool of blood, no less, just bellowing in a theatrical manner that few actors could pull off better than Oldman. I mean, he doesn't even look human. It's kind of hard to describe. Yeah, it's quite a scene for sure. And what better way to punctuate it than with a building chorus and a loud blast of horns leading to the creepy title reveal? It's quite an audacious way to kick off this story. And this track on the soundtrack is fittingly called the beginning. Now, of course, I did mention that this score can also be quite romantic, and never more than in those scenes when we see Vlad and Mina bonding, or depending on how you look at it, 
reuniting after centuries apart as it becomes increasingly clear that Mina is the reincarnated soul of Elisabetta. Now, either you're buying these scenes or you're not. Regardless, both Ryder and Oldman have genuine chemistry in these scenes, and they give it their all. But nothing sells the romantic element better than this gorgeous recurring theme, which is a mixture of strings and flutes, played throughout the movie. It's, of course, called Mina Dracula. And as if this moving score was not enough, we are then treated to a very spare and haunting ballad from Annie Lennox playing over the end credits. This song has become widely associated with the movie, and it's funny because we never actually hear it during the movie, only during the second half of the end credits, and yet it perfectly blends with the tone and themes of the movie. Lilting violins with slowly building synth and percussion in the background, and of course, Annie Lennox's amazing contralto voice. She was previously the front woman for one of the premier synth-pop bands of the 1980s, the Eurythmics. Remember them? Well, this song was one of her first to be released as a solo artist. Lennox has just always been one of my favorite pop artists, bar none. And this song remains one of her solo highlights. It's called Love Song for a Vampire. The next category is Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. And then there is Keanu, Keanu Reeves. Yeah, you know from the get-go, with that laughable attempt at a British accent, just how miscast he is. I know where the bastard sleeps. I brought him there. To Carfax Abbey. But Lord knows he's trying at least. And that shitty white wig that he's saddled with for the second half of the movie, well, that's not helping matters either. He sticks out like a sore thumb among a cast where everyone else just feels spot on. His character of Jonathan Harker is somewhat critical too, which is unfortunate, but it's not enough to sink this film. That said, this film likely would have been improved with a more ideal actor in this part. And apparently, the original choice to play this role was Johnny Depp. And in retrospect, Depp would have absolutely nailed this character. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scener moment that best describes this movie. Right around the midpoint, Coppola gives us a bravura sequence somewhat reminiscent of the climaxes of each of his Godfather films. 
cross-cutting between a religious ceremony and a sequence of brutal violence. Of course, within this particular fantastical setting, it's a bit different. We cut between an ad hoc wedding ceremony to join John and Mina, and Dracula in wolf form marauding into the mansion where Lucy is resting so that he can finally finish her off after biting her earlier. There are just so many different filmmaking styles on display here as we actually see Dracula's point of view galloping into the entrance, terrorizing the armed men guarding it outside. All the while, the wedding is shot elegantly, though with a heavy emphasis on religious iconography. And Coppola has always just loved his Christian imagery. And as the score builds up, we see Dracula back in human form inside Lucy's bedroom, declaring his intention to turn her over, just before turning back into a wolf who starts gnawing at Lucy while she's laying down. Pretty brutal. All the while, Mina and Jonathan, having exchanged vows, they start passionately kissing at the wedding altar. And the whole thing crescendos, with Lucy screaming in horror, then with a geyser of blood bursting out of her bed. I condemn you to living there. To eternal hunger for living blood. <laughs> Gee, you think Francis is trying to tell us something? Well, whatever it is, it's one hell of a sequence. And now the final category, which would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. At the end of the day, this was still very much a Coppola venture. And not just Francis either. His son Roman Coppola was placed in charge of visual effects and had the extremely unusual task at the direction of his father, of course, of only utilizing on-screen trickery which existed 100 years prior from the earliest days of cinema. That's right, going old school. No CGI, nothing digital, just a lot of good old-school movie magic. Reverse motion, matte paintings, forced perspective, and loads of miniatures, among other things. And not only does it all look great, often as if out of a picture book, but it has a very tangible feel. Beyond that, the film just moves. This film is breathlessly paced, which is kind of unusual for Coppola. He also makes some compelling choices as director here, which might not all gel together thematically at times, but wow, they just help you buy into these characters, and they just make this story very watchable. Take that Racing Against the Sun climax, for instance. It's such a strange genre blend as we're basically watching a gothic western take place with fast-paced horseback chasing, swordplay, and with Mina, taking charge with that communion wafer branded on her forehead. Next to his Ride of the Valkyries helicopter attack in Apocalypse Now, it's possibly the most impressive action sequence ever created by Francis Ford Coppola, which is not faint praise to say the least. It's just so uniquely him, especially the gonzo way that he closes out this movie. With two star-crossed lovers alone on the steps of a church pew, and in a final act of love, one of them beheads the other. Now, mileage may vary for many, but me, I just find it all moving and satisfying. For bringing his unique sensibilities to the vampire genre and making it his own, Francis Ford Coppola is the MVP. In the case of this, it's, since it was 1897, that was the birth of the cinema. So I asked, what was the cinema like? And I learned that in those days, the cinema was the plaything of magicians and that movies were considered part of a magic show. And the early filmmakers, like the famous Méliès, the French used to do magic tricks. And I said, well, what if I made the film all in the style of the cinema of 1897? 
And my rating for Bram Stoker's Dracula is four and a half stars out of five. Francis Ford Coppola's true masterpieces, of course, remain for me The Godfather, The Godfather Part Two, and The Conversation, which are three virtually perfect movies, whereas this film does have its share of flaws. But I even find this film's flaws entertaining, and that's certainly the sign of a master filmmaker. And if you're looking to watch Bram Stoker's Dracula, it is currently streaming on DirecTV. And that ends another Crossed Oceans of Time review. Wow, talk about bad accents. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast, and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.